This episode of Bad Apples contains topics of sexual assault and rape, morbid details of murder, and kidnapping. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome back to Bad Apples. This is episode two, and this week we will be talking about one of the most notorious serial killers in the United States, Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy was a serial killer and necrophiliac who killed, kidnapped, and raped many young women and girls throughout the 1970s. He confessed to 30 murders, however, it is unclear just how many he had committed, and it happened throughout seven states until it finally came to an end. Bundy was born Theodore Robert Cowell to Eleanor Louise Cowell, known as Louise to many people, at the Elizabeth Lund Home for Unwed Mothers in Burlington, Vermont, on November 24, 1946. He never knew his father, and his father's identity has never been confirmed. However, most people state his birth certificate says his paternity is to salesman and Air Force veteran Lloyd Marshall. Others claim it as listed as unknown, his mother claimed she was seduced by a war veteran named Jack Worthington, and some family members claim Bundy was fathered by Louise's own father, Samuel Cowell. For the first three years of his life, Ted Bundy had lived with his grandparents, who raised him to protect their daughter from society because of the birth out of wedlock, which was looked down upon at the time. Everyone was told that Ted was their child and his mother his older sister. He eventually found his birth certificate and was not very happy with the results. However, he also said in an interview that he didn't believe the lie as he had gotten older. His sister always took care of him and had motherly affection, and also didn't, he also didn't think there could be 20 years age difference between a brother and older sister. His mother was so fond of him, in fact, that in the 1970s, when Ted was first charged for the crimes, his mother was working as a secretary at the University of Pudgeon Sound, and she refused to believe the charges, but whenever he confessed, it had broken her heart, and she actually believed him. Bundy's grandfather was known to have a terrible temper and violent acts which touched animals, employees, and many family members. Many Bundy experts say that this could relate to Bundy's mother being raped by her own father, regardless of what she says about the war veteran. Bundy may have experienced physical or psychological abuse at the hands of his grandfather, despite his later instance that the two had a good relationship. When talking about the start of Ted's deep issues, it started when he was three years old. He became fascinated with knives and was always a shy and bright child. On at least one occasion, his aunt woke up to find her toddler nephew placing knives near her sleeping form. She later told Vanity Fair, quote, I remember thinking at the time that I was the only one who thought it was strange. Nobody did anything, end quote. A doctor, Dr. Dorothy Lewis, an experienced psychiatrist, gives her opinion that such actions would occur, quote, only in very seriously traumatized children who have either themselves been the victims of extraordinary abuse or who have witnessed extreme violence among family members, end quote. In 1952, his mother married Johnny Bundy. Ted took up his last name but had no respect for his stepfather because he was working class and too uneducated for Bundy. He never really met his standards and he didn't get along and he would, very, he would act out against him. Ted Bundy valued his education. He attended many schools as an undergrad student, which allowed him to study the behaviors, vulnerabilities, and habits of female co-eds who were his most common target for multiple communities, as well as 
earn an education and make something of himself. He attended University of Puget Sound, Temple University, and the University of Washington. Ted Bundy had a hard time choosing what he wanted to major in. He originally wanted to major in Chinese, then urban planning, but ultimately settled on psychology. He graduated from the University of Washington with a psychology degree, and many of his professors expressed with distinction. They said he was such a great student, everybody seemed to like him, very charismatic and smart, and got along with his peers, and was just a good guy in general. A professor wrote in his recommendation letter when Ted Bundy decided to go to law school, quote, I regret Mr. Bundy's decision to pursue a career in law rather than to continue his professional training in psychology. Our loss is your gain, end quote. His psychology training helped him understand how to manipulate people. He used crutches or cast to lure women to him to help, preying on their natural sympathies. He also understood people would obey a authority figures, and would pretend and imitate being a police officer to lure them to his car. After Ted Bundy had graduated with his psychology degree at the University of Washington, Bundy had applied for many prestigious law schools. However, he was never accepted to any of them. He reluctantly started taking night classes at the University of Pudgeant Sound in September of 1973. He frequently skipped classes because of his busy schedule of his extracurricular activities. University of Washington student Linda Ann Healy was Ted's first known victim, killed in February of 1974. In Washington and neighboring Oregon, Ted Bundy committed at least seven more murders through the summer of 1974. In July, two women had disappeared from Lake Sammamish in Seattle. Witnesses came forward reporting that a man, who called himself Ted, was asking for help from women with a sailboat while wearing a sling. The sketch circulated by authorities resembled Ted. The car the suspect was driving was a Volkswagen Beetle, which matched his car as well. The shared name, sketch, and the car was enough for people around Bundy, and many people reported him to the police. However, because of his working with the state's Republican Party and no adult criminal record, they didn't consider him a serious suspect. In 1974, Ted Bundy attended University of Utah Law School because of his recommendation letters from his professors and the governor of Washington, whom he helped with the campaign. It was amazingly planned because it gave Bundy a reason to leave Washington in his ongoing investigations. He never got his law degree and dropped out because his occupation was too time-consuming and it never gave him time to study. He lived as a law student until August of 1975, when he got pulled over by a police officer and they found many items in his car. When Bundy was pulled over by a police officer in Utah, the police had searched his car and found a ski mask, ice pick, and handcuffs, along with many other items in the car that related to the kidnapping of Carol Durant. He was charged with the kidnapping in 1974. She had been tricked into Bundy's car when he had pretended to be a police officer, and she fortunately had escaped from Ted. Durant even identified him in the police station, and he had gained many supporters as he proclaimed his innocence and said that Durant was a liar. However, he was convicted of kidnapping in 1976. When Ted Bunny killed people, he killed them in similar ways. Sometimes he would kill them quickly. Other times he would keep them alive for multiple days to be repeatedly raped and strangled. Whenever he dumped or buried the bodies, 
He would sometimes revisit his victims, grooming and performing sexual acts with the decomposing corpses until destruction by wild animals or putrefaction was made any further interactions impossible. He decapitated at least 12 victims and kept some of the severed heads as mementos in his apartment. Before he would dump the victims, he would dress them up or do their makeup. Ted Bundy was soon moved to Colorado to be tried for killing 23-year-old nurse Karen Campbell. There, he decided to use his legal know-how and act as his own lawyer. Because he was representing himself, officials gave Bundy access to the law library. But when he was sent to library during a pretrial hearing in June of 1977, he escaped from the courthouse through an open window. He was captured eight days later. The people guarding him didn't learn from the experience because he escaped again on December 30th, 1977. He made it to Florida, where he took the lives of two college students and one 12-year-old, as well as severely injuring three other women before being arrested once more. The 12-year-old was the youngest and his last victim, thankfully ending his reign of terror. Her name was Kimberly Leach, the youngest victim, 12 years old. That's insane. When Bundy was captured in Florida, he was again put on trial for the three murders he had committed. And he decided again to defend himself. The lawyer advising him felt Bundy couldn't really go to control or admit guilt, and that's why he kept defending himself. And though Bundy managed to marry his girlfriend somehow when she came to testify, the case didn't go as he had hoped for. He was found guilty of the three murders in two separate trials and sentenced to death. Bundy was reportedly surprised by the outcomes of his Florida trials. Despite his education, he was neither smart enough nor a good enough lawyer to accurately accurately assess the strengths of the prosecution's case and his likelihood of conviction. Bundy had turned down a plea deal with Florida prosecutors that would have resulted in a life sentence instead of capital punishment. Though appeals kept his execution from being carried out for years, and Bundy tried to trade information about the murders he'd committed in order to delay the sentence, his time eventually ran out. On January 24, 1989, he was put to death by electric chair. During the trials, there was evidence that was sufficient proof that Ted Bundy was the killer and the kidnapper of the women. The car, his name, the sketch from way back in 1974, during the time when the two women disappeared from Sammamish Lake. There was also clothing fibers, blood evidence, hair, and bite mark evidence. The bite mark evidence today is very controversial and many people will discredit it. Essentially, there was a bite mark on the body of one of the victims, and they took a mold of Ted Bundy's teeth and compared it to the bite mark, and it was very accurate, and it matched his teeth perfectly. However, there is that evidence department is very controversial, and people don't think it's good enough to be used in court. There was fiber evidence against Ted Bundy that was found on February 15th, 1978. The police searched Bundy's car after he had escaped from prison in Florida. Well, he had escaped prison. It was in Florida. And they found clothing fibers of his clothes in victim Kimberly Leach. 
Again, Kimberly Leach was Ted Bundy's final and youngest victim at age 12. The fiber evidence from Kimberly Leach's clothes and, of course, Bundy's as well, was found all throughout the car. Bundy even wore the blazer that the blue wool and polyester came from while being testified in court for this exact crime. The other items found in his car when he was uh, pulled over in Utah were a box of large green plastic garbage bags, a crowbar, flashlight, a pair of gloves, torn strips of cloth, pair of handcuffs, ski mask, ice pick, and a strange mask made from pantyhose, which is quite disturbing. In an attempt to further push back his execution, Ted Bundy confessed to 30 homicides, but even today, the true total remains unknown. People have estimated that the number runs as high as 100 or even more, and Bundy has made cryptic comments to encourage that speculation. Robert Kemple wrote, quote, Ted and I both knew the total was much higher, end quote. Reverend Fred Lawrence said, quote, I don't think he even knew how many he killed or why he had killed them, end quote. Here are the seven states and how many they have put together, how many he had killed from what they have gotten from him. In Washington, 11 including parts abducted in Oregon but killed in Washington, and including three unidentified. In Utah, eight, three unidentified. In Colorado, three. In Florida, three. In Oregon, two, both unidentified. In Idaho, two, one unidentified. And in California, one unidentified. Again, Bundy is a sick and twisted man, and he remains a suspect in several unsolved homicides and is likely responsible for others that may never be identified. In 1987, he confided to Robert Kemple that there were, quote, some murders that he would never talk about because they were committed too close to home, too close to family, or involved victims who were very young. A possible victim is Anne-Marie Burr, age 8. She vanished from her home on August 31, 1961, when Bundy was 14. An unknown tennis shoe imprint was found by the overturned bench used to enter the house. Due to the small size of the shoe, police believe the perpetrator must be a teenager or youth. The Burr house was on Bundy's newspaper delivery route. The victim's father was certain that he saw Bundy in a ditch that a construction site on the nearby University of Pungent Sound campus the morning his daughter disappeared. Other circumstantial evidence implicates him as well, but detectives familiar with the case have never agreed on the likelihood of his involvement. Bundy repeatedly denied culpability and wrote a letter of denial to the Burr family in 1986, but Keppel has observed that Burr fits all three of Bundy's no-discussion categories of too close to home, too close to family, and very young. Forensic testing of material evidence from the Burke crime scene in 2011 yielded insufficient intact DNA sequences for comparison with Bundy's.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Bad Apples. Ted Bundy did many terrible things, and there's so much more to his cases that I did not include in this episode. If you want to know more, the sources that I use for this case are in the description of the episode. Again, thank you for listening. Bye!